Welcome everyone to the Together for Action 2020 podcast. This is Andre Tomlin from The Mental Health and I'm here today with Professor Sophia Gruskin. Uh, she's the Director of the Institute on Inequalities in Global Health at the University of Southern California and she also received the 2020 Max Heyman Award from the Global Alliance for Behavioral Health and Social Justice. This is something that she's being awarded tomorrow uh, on the 24th of September 2020 at the Together for Action conference and she'll be giving a keynote um, at that event. Sophia, a very warm welcome to the Together for Action 2020 podcast. Let me start by asking you about your work which focuses on the intersection between health and human rights. Why do you think it helps to think about these things together? Thanks. And may I just start by just saying thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you so much for the opportunity to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, uh, why do I think it's so important to keep these things together? Well, uh, let me start with the fact that government obligations exist in terms of health and well-being. So it's not just at a conceptual level that it's important to think about these things together. It's at a very practical level. And it's important for knowing what rights our governments are legally responsible for enforcing, particularly I think in this very complicated time and the range of rights, including the right to health definitely, but also in terms of just thinking about the range of rights around non-discrimination, around privacy, around kind of a range of rights that are, that are quite important around freedom of movement for being able to think about what it means in this moment. I mean, the thing is, is that there have been significant strides in developing normative aspects of rights in a range of global health topics. And there's approaches to being able to monitor health from a rights perspective. So there's lots of positive to say, but the reason I wanted to, I, I focus on this and the reason I wanted to talk about this is because it's also, there are so many regressive tendencies right now that in ways and in countries around the world, not just in my own, I'm from the US and not just in my own, but you know, good laws are not being implemented or funded. There are conflicts in laws that are perhaps bad for public health and, and bad in, in human rights terms. And I, I think one of the things that's been kind of interesting is that I think that the, you know, I, first of all, let me just say, I, I feel the need to frame so much of what I'm gonna talk about in the context of COVID because, um, COVID has, is, has illustrated so many important things in terms of how it is that that the health and human rights connection come together. And I, I think one thing that's been really important is, is that the pandemic has really shown that people, and I mean this everywhere in the world, are willing to give extreme deference to the state and they're willing to readily accept severe restrictions to their freedoms of movement. Uh, for weeks, months at a time. I mean, of course, there's these outliers, but I'm not focusing on them. I'm focusing really on the majority of people who are willing to do this for the sake of public health. And, and part of why they do this is also recognizing that they know that this is necessary for their own health and well being. And it also gives governments the, the ability to legally impose these restrictions on rights if they have a valid public health justification for doing so. But for that to work, the, the, the ways in which rights are restricted cannot be arbitrary or discriminatory in any way. And what's been really striking to me 
is that while people have been so willing to give this deference, that many governments are using the police power, they're using police to enforce COVID-related restrictions, not only their public health power. And so this misuse of COVID restrictions is targeting particularly marginalized groups um, and often being justified in the name of COVID. And, and I, you know, I have a, a number of examples of things that have come across my computer this week only in terms of some examples of that, if I can kind of give some examples to show what I, what I mean by that. You know, I, I feel comfortable, I suppose, naming countries here because the, the information came out as, as news reports. So, so I'm happy to do that. Um, so in Australia, um, there is this use of mobile surveillance units in parks and in public spaces, as is happening in Melbourne, to re remotely monitor citizens uh, during the, the restrictions that are in place. But the issue is, is that police overstepping their authority because they're using COVID as a way to actually remotely monitor what people are doing that goes beyond simply the lockdown, but has specifically to do with their actions, who they're speaking to, and what it is that they're doing. To take a totally different example, in, in Colombia, um, there were seven people, at least, that have been killed in protests because a man was pinned to the ground and repeatedly tasered by police in Bogota, which led to his death, but the officers were arresting him for allegedly breaking social distancing rules by drinking with friends. So you can see, again, it's this idea of COVID being used as a way to um, restrict rights, but in ways that are, I would say, particularly not particularly good for public health. So I think that's a way, I, I hope, of illustrating the ways in which health and rights come together. But I think my concern is that this is happening without any real accountability. And this is true in all countries uh, for what is and isn't being done. And I, I see this happening uh, alongside this rise of populism and nationalism, these limits on civil society responses, the idea that civil society is being more and more restricted in terms of what it can say, and alongside this growth in authoritarian regimes. And I, I feel like we have a mess on our hands, to be honest. And I, I fear that we need to be able to think about how health and rights come together in a way that can ensure that people can stay safe from infection, that they can access the health care that they need, but also that they can speak out against these sorts of injustices. And, and I feel that in terms of thinking about health and rights together, that so many of the cracks in our policies and our legal systems and our healthcare systems are just becoming just so obvious that it's clear that we need something to bring these together. And, you know, COVID is not unique in revealing the, an, econo an ecology of sickness and mortality based on social determinants of health. Uh, but it is in how globally these issues and these fault lines are showing. Um, the, the issue is, is that beyond lip service to human rights and, and to public health, this weak response to abuses of rights in the name of COVID is really problematic. And I fear that it jeopardizes not only the response to the pandemic, but actually to the future of global health. Yeah, I mean, this is a really troubling situation we're in. And I think 
you know, what a lot of us try and do in these sorts of situations is try and see the, the positives and the, the way that we can find our way out of this and what we need to do to work together to improve it for people. You were an editorial just a few weeks ago in BMJ Global Health and you quoted Arundhati Roy um, and the article from the Financial Times. Um, the quote is, historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It's a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. And where I'm from in the UK, um, the Centre for Mental Health have recently published a report on, on COVID and mental health and inequalities where they've said, and I quote, COVID-19 pandemic could entrench and exacerbate inequalities in mental health for a generation unless concerted action is taken to close the gap. So from your perspective, what, what advice, what recommendations would you give internationally to governments, to policymakers who want to ensure that health and human rights of all people are prioritized? Um, I, I, let me say, I really appreciate the question and I, I share the concern and I, I'm really glad you actually brought to my attention this uh, report. Um, and I, I think this is precisely the concern in terms of mental health and in terms of every aspect of health and well-being. And on the positive, and I, I do, I honestly can be on the positive here, um, we need to see what's happening as an opportunity because it has exposed these fault lines so clearly. And I think the key issue is we need, and this is why we, we put this quote in, we need to not just go back to how things were, but we need to figure out how we can learn from this to do better for all people. And I feel that there's a couple of things that are part of this. Um, we first of all need to figure out and, and ensure the governments are held accountable for their actions now in the context of COVID. And Again, it means intention, attention to the laws that are being put in place in the name of COVID, not letting COVID be used as an excuse for these re regressive tendencies. Um, I'm still a big believer in multilateralism. And I do think that these issues are not going to be addressed within one place alone, but we need to examine the system as a whole. Um, again, I, I, as I said earlier, I mean, there's this interconnectedness. I, I really see this interconnectedness between the human rights agenda, the global health agenda, the global development agenda, and the global peace agenda. And so what we need to think about is how is it that not just a single government or a single global institution or mechanism, but really multilateralism as a whole, how each of these operates. And that really gets us thinking about individual governments and individual, to use the language of the UN system member states, the countries of the world, who are really the masters of these institutions. Um, how is it that we look at how it is that they're behaving and what it is that they're doing? And, and let me just say that I, I do think the time is right to do an in-depth review of these institutions. And I mean, not only WHO or only one of the UN agencies, and I also don't mean only one government, but to start with a review of how it is that countries uh, conduct themselves domestically and within these institutions. And I, I know that's a tall order, but I think that we are gonna need to rebuild public trust we really are gonna to need to be in a, in a place of understanding that what's happening is having long-term effects on the generations to come. And that what we really need to do is to understand and address the ways in which um, 
people understand the value of government and the value of systems in a, in a more positive way. I, I think about living through this as a young person for students, what this means for their lives. I mean, for small children, but what this means for their lives and for their ways of seeing the, the world. Um, and I, I really do see that um, going through this, that what we need to be working towards and what to come back to your original question is, is essentially if we think about accountability as key, but we see health and the importance of health as a framework to ensure that this doesn't happen again. And the truth is there will be more viruses now, so it will happen again. But how is it that we ensure together that governments and the systems of the world are prepared to deal in ways that are good for public health, that respect rights, and that they're accountable for their actions, and that this is the way that we understand together, all of us, that the health and human rights of all people are prioritized. Listeners outside of the US may not have heard about this Commission on Unalienable Rights um, that was announced back in July by the Secretary of State, Michael Pompeo. So what's your view of this new commission. Explain what this is, first of all, to, to those of us who haven't heard of it. Sure, of course. And I think you're going to know where I'm coming from, but I'll start. Um, so first of all, let me say that I'm glad we are talking about this today uh, because the U.S. government is holding an, an event today, actually as we are doing this podcast, at the General Assembly. So uh, Secretary of State Pompeo uh, created this commission in 2019. And he did so uh, naming uh, individuals to this commission who are not uh, ideologically balanced, as is required under US law, I should say, but people that espouse an ideologically selective view of human rights. And they have, uh, and the commission has uh, demonstrated a bias towards advancing a definition of religious freedom that undermines other rights including sexual and reproductive health and rights, and particularly the rights of people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Um, he said that uh, human rights, the foremost among human rights are property rights and religious liberty. And this report is an attempt to create a hierarchy of rights as opposed to relying on decades of domestic and international human rights law. And I, I wanna really clarify that the attempt of this commission is to make what I consider to be a really disturbing distinction between unalienable rights and what the commission describes as quote, social and political controversies, which include abortion, uh, affirmative action, and the rights of people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. And I want to be clear that each of those issues are guaranteed by international and domestic law, including by the U.S. Supreme Court. And so this is an attempt to undermine that at a, at a national level and at a global level. And, and while uh, I recognize that governments are going to make decisions, foreign policy decisions that are based on resources and policy priorities. 
What I worry about is as a country adopting a foreign policy that identifies certain rights as more important than others. And my concern about this is not only about what happens in the US, but the way that this opens the door for other countries to uh, nationalize and rubber stamp, if I may, their own human rights violations by claiming that each country can then recognize and address rights in the way that they want to, which again undermines the multilateral system, multilateral system I was just talking about that I think is so important for guaranteeing health and human rights. Mm -hmm.